0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Pundit Dasa about his time as a monk in New York City and how he became a corporate leadership consultant focused on mindfulness in the workplace. Pundit Dasa, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to have the chance to talk with you. And as my listeners will soon learn, you have such a unique background. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about such an important topic. So uh, I really look forward to this next 25 minutes or so uh, as we get to know each other better and have a good discussion. Pundit Dasa is a mindful leadership expert, author, and motivational keynote speaker. His inspirational speeches aim to create a more mindful workplace culture, which increases productivity and improves retention. He encourages leadership and coworkers to appreciate and celebrate the success and contributions of others. Pundit captures the audience's attention by sharing his journey on how and why he spent 15 years living as a monk in New York City, the incredible life and leadership lessons he learned from that experience. And why he's no longer a monk. His story is chronicled in his book, Urban Monk. Some of the companies he has spoken at are Google, Citibank, IBM, State Farm, Federal Reserve Bank, of Chicago, Kellogg's, uh, and Nationwide Insurance. Um, again, so I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Uh, before we launch into the, the topic of discussion for today, is there anything else, Pundit, that you would like to Uh, start off with uh, in sharing with our listeners?
1: Well, I mean, since you did mention that I lived as a monk, I'm assuming your listeners are wondering uh, how in the world that happened. Uh, When I was a monk, uh, the number one question I was being asked is, why did you become a monk? And now I'm not a monk. So the number one question I get asked is, why are you not a monk? So I figured that I can go ahead and start with that and just uh, explain how that happened. It's obviously a very long story, but I'm going to, I think I've learned to tell it in about a minute. For more details, people can go to the website or check out the book. Uh, so I, I grew up in Southern California. My parents came from India to the U.S. with almost nothing in 1980. So the first thing they did was set up a small shop on Venice Beach to selling gift items. Real simple setup. Working seven days a week. Very hard. 20, 10, 12-hour days, basically. And within a matter of about eight years, uh, they developed a multimillion-dollar jewelry business. So we began living this incredible American dream. Bought a house in the hills of Los Angeles. Uh, everything was great. Then in the early 1990s, uh, the jewelry factory burnt down. We lost everything, went completely broke. And at that point, we decided to explore new business opportunities in 1993 in post-communist Bulgaria in East Europe. (laughs) Uh, So Bulgaria had just come out of communism. No one spoke English in that country at that time, so it was a very interesting experience. Uh, Couldn't talk to the cashier, to the post office folks, Phone operators, no one spoke English. So just imagine that. Nothing on TV was in English, and there was no real internet there at that time. Uh, There was no no cell phones. So just imagine. I went 50 years behind in technology. But that was when I started my own mindfulness practice and my own meditation practice. Living in Bulgaria, I didn't go to like you know Asia to practice like a lot of people do. I was in post communist Bulgaria then because I needed something to keep me sane between all that was happening. Two years into Bulgaria, we decided to leave because the country was a little unstable. Came back to the U.S. And then in 1999, I decided to just go to India to live as a monk for a month. Just live with monks, not to live as a monk, but to live with monks. It was like a retreat. Ended up spending six months living with different monks in different monasteries. Loved it so much. Came back to the U.S., moved into the monastery in New York City. Spent 15 years living as a monk in New York. That wasn't expected. That wasn't part of my life plan. That wasn't like your five-year, 10-year plan, <laughs> but it happened. And uh, then I just, at some point, I felt like I'd learned everything that I could have for the mon- monastic life. And I wanted it, I was doing a lot of speeches on stress management, wellness, well-being. I took that into the corporate environment. I wanted to take it into the corporate environment, and I did. So I left the monastic life about six years ago. So I think that was longer than a minute. Um, but that was my whole story. My, uh, that was That covered about... 25, 30 years within about two and a half minutes. I think it's not yeah. uh,
0: So interesting. Um, such an interesting background. Both, both the family uh, moves and how that impacted you. And uh, also just the shift into uh, uh, being a monk and then the shift back out. And I imagine we could talk for a really long time about all those elements. And so maybe at a future date, we could have that discussion. Happy um, to more in depth. I'm going to talk
1: about that, yes. <laughs>
0: um, you mentioned uh, specifically focusing on mindfulness, and and being a monk, that seems fitting. Um, I, I'm not super familiar with the monastic lifestyle, um, but it, it seems like mindfulness would be at the forefront of a lot of what you're trying to do, intentionality, mindfulness, being in the moment, and, um, and whatnot. So, maybe you could say just a little bit more about how you how you started to transfer what you learned um as a monk into a, a corporate setting which is i don't i don't know if it's never been done before but I've never heard of it before <laughs> a very unique transition
1: yeah i mean um uh, as a monk a lot of my talks were a little bit more on the spiritual side, but then I made everything i secularized everything so that it would fit into the corporate environment and it what would ha- it happened very organically it's not like I'm like oh you know what I really want to Go into corporations. I mean, I wanted to, but I wasn't sure how in the world I'm going to do that. Uh, but I just started to get invitations from friends who had mentored and, and kind of guided who were all in corporate environments. And one friend who was working at bank of America said, Hey, we're having a conference with like 300 or a thousand people you want to give a talk on stress management at that? I think I might be able to, you know, make these arrangements. I'm like, yeah, let's give it a shot. I really, I'm just like, you know, going into like a major bank, (laughs) one of the biggest banks on the planet. And I've never spoken at a corporation before. I go in, do my thing. Of course, I didn't go in robes. I I, I bought like a regular shirt for the first time in like 14 years. And, uh, you know, regular pair of pants. I went in there, gave a talk. It was incredibly well received. And then somebody got a copy of my book urban monk, they gave it to someone else who worked at Google, then they invited me to speak at Google. Then someone understood that I do these kinds of talks, they invited me to speak at Novartis Pharmaceutical, like it just kind of happened. And at one point, and I was as I was transitioning out, I'm like, you know, maybe I should really look into this. Because during the time I was a monk, I did hundreds and hundreds of speeches in front of small audiences, mostly college students. But the the getting up in front of people that I, you know, I got over the hump <laughs> uh, of just doing it so many times. And so, so the, the transition happened very gradually. I had to make things more relevant for the corporate environment. It was a, and from all the people that have been talking about leadership and stress management, I just came at it from a slightly different angle, really from the angle of like, if you want to change your work culture, you got to change yourself first. Don't just think about changing everyone else. If you're not changing yourself, what are you changing actually? It's not going to last. You can't tell people to change. You have to inspire them to change by your own behavior. So I was taking the slightly different approach. And of course, the mindfulness angle, meaning going inward, understanding yourself, understanding what causes you stress, understanding that it's not the people in your life necessarily or the events in your life that are causing you stress. It's the way you deal with them and the way you choose to process the situations that are happening because if something could be small, but you could choose your mind can choose to magnify it and blow it up into something massive and cause you stress for weeks and months, or you could just sort of let that go. And that is determined by how much you manage your mind. So I was like, approaching it in a slightly different way. And I think that helped also kind of get my talks a little bit more traction, you know,
0: you're, you're right. I, I think we're in an age where mindfulness is on, it's, it's discussed a lot. Um, it's something that uh, I, I certainly read about a lot and I hear people um, at least talking about the buzzword mindfulness, whether they really understand it or apply it uh, correctly or not. And so I can imagine how you coming in with this super unique background, not just from being a monk, but also, um, you, you know, your family background and, and, and the disasters you experienced and the moves and every, all of that then leading into the monastic lifestyle um, it just brings such a unique perspective to the challenges that organizations are facing, and like you said a new a, a whole new framing for the importance of mindfulness uh, and and how and why we need to to pay attention to it uh, in our leadership practice and within the workplace um, so kudos to you um, for for uh getting that ball rolling, and like you said, sometimes things just catch momentum don't they um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't just sit back and just take all kinds of credit for it because, you know, I feel like, you know, success is sort of uh, hard work combined with luck or karma, whatever you want to call it. I think we do need to say, admit that there are things that are out of, outside of our control that allowed us to succeed the way we did. And so for me to just sit back and say, yeah, you know, I did it. Look at me. I have such out of the box content and my charisma. No, it's just like, you know, I got some breaks and I'm grateful for that. I got some breaks. I'm grateful for those, um, and and that's it. You know, that's it. Because <laughs> I know there's a bunch of people who could probably say what I'm saying. Um, you know, probably better. I got some breaks. Some others will get breaks in different ways. We just have to be grateful for what comes our way. I think. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. We all have our unique backgrounds or unique uh, histories, and so there's both challenges and privilege that comes with those histories. And then you you dabble you know you throw in a little bit of luck here and you you know so you you couple that though with the hard work um, that you've put into this and then that's where you you gain some some success so um, yeah very good uh, you've already spoken to mindfulness in the workplace a little bit let's let's dig into that a little bit more so thinking about um, the idea of mindfulness in the workplace and thinking about how to improve workplace culture and relationships. Um, through mindfulness. Uh, can you speak to that and, and how you would go about helping leaders better understand that?
1: Yeah, so you know, one thing is being able to in a workplace culture, it's not making sure that we're not letting our ego get in the way. Because once we let our ego get in the way, then what happens? We we're ready to stifle a project and a company just because of the ego. And so it requires a little bit of humility. Uh, to be able to admit that my way isn't always right. Other people might also have some good ideas. And if I got some kind of feedback or something, and maybe I should listen to it. (laughs) Maybe I should think about it. Of course, it all depends on how it was delivered. Um, So, and I think a really big component of bringing mind, so for me, one thing is that mindfulness isn't just limited to meditation. We hear the word mindfulness, people might think that oh, so you just go in and have people meditate and like it's kind of uh, you know makes them succeed. I'm like, no, that's not it. You know, Uh, it's much more than that, that's a component of it, but there's a lot of other components. For example, are we mindful of the contributions of our colleagues? Because we all know, like, I've been here one year and six months, and this is what I've done, and this is what I've done. Look how great I am, and I should have gotten an award for this. Okay, we have our whole resume in our, uh, in our head, and we can write it, rattle it off to someone the moment somebody asks, how aware are we of what our colleagues are doing? What about the guy next to me? Obviously, he's still sitting here getting a paycheck, uh, or she's sitting here getting a paycheck. She's obviously doing a lot of work, too. Have I even thought about what they're doing? And have I, have I thought about how their work is helping my work? Have I thought about saying, hey, I really love what you've done. Thank you, because it's really helping me as well. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your encouragement. Have we taken the time to appreciate the people around us? Because success is never a one-person story. It's never a one-person story. There's always so many people in the background doing things, people we may not see or recognize or note that what they're doing contributed to my success. And I think creating a mindful workplace culture is to train ourselves to really appreciate the contributions of our colleagues and to actually appreciate them for it. That means actually physically taking the time out of your day or week at some point saying, you know, this next 10 minutes, I'm going to think about some of my colleagues. What are they doing? Because otherwise it just becomes very self-centered. And if everyone's just self-centered in that way, no one's thinking about what others are doing, then where is it going to go? If it's every man and woman for themselves, then the big picture is going to be lost. So I think it, so I actually, this is what I teach. Like I, I teach people to like actually take time out of their day to think about how others are contributing and to actually go and appreciate them for something. Maybe somebody said something in a meeting and you liked Hey, go up and say that, you know, I really appreciated your comment I, that was so needed. I'm glad you said a thank you. Or what you said was really inspiring. Oh, you know, I heard you talking with a client and I know the client was really upset and you really calmed them down. Thank you so much. You know, that I learned something from you. It's okay to admit you learned something from someone else. And that's what I mean by putting aside the ego. And now what happens when someone compliments it or appreciates us? It gives us a boost, doesn't it? Like we feel good. Who doesn't feel good when you get appreciated? Now, I have just appreciated this one person. Now they're feeling good. I've given them a good feeling. I've uplifted them. You know, that's coming back to me. Somehow or other, they're going to, they're going to look for a way to kind of compliment me. Like it's just hard for a human being to get something and not to give something back. Or I feel the universe will send it to some other person. But I have the power every day to uplift someone else. I have that power. And why not utilize that power? To uplift someone else and it'll probably come back. So that's one component. Uh, to to chime in on that, I I
0: love the idea of of never suppressing a kind thought, right? So people you said it perfectly. People all around us are constantly contributing to to our well-being, our success, our happiness, our joy. And we we sometimes get so caught up in the grind of life and just trying to get that next thing done and, and, you know, move up the ladder or check things off our list or whatever that we forget about these relationships that we have with others. Uh, and we, we fail to, to express gratitude and we really, you know, I feel like anytime my heart is pinged to, to thank somebody for what they've done for me or to compliment them or whatever. Um, anytime my heart is pinged to do that, I should, resist the urge to suppress that kind thought. Um, And I think society at large would say, well, that's, they're just going to, it's going to be awkward. Um, uh, You you know, you might make them uncomfortable or whatever. And I suppose that could happen. And so we need to be sensitive to to how other people like to receive compliments and such. But uh, my general sense is, and my experience in life has been that people just appreciate you complimenting them. They appreciate you um, sharing your kind words with them, giving them positive feedback, um, and especially if they know that it comes from a place of sincerity um, and good intention. So I, I think, you know, to your point, we we just need to look for those opportunities to to share those expressions of of gratitude, of love, um, and not only does that make us feel better, uh, but it can help the entire work environment feel better as everyone feels. more connected to each other
1: and you know those opportunities are everywhere we're just not i mean everyone's busy working they're all doing something they're everywhere if we just take the time out to you know to look at it and yeah it might be a little awkward for but most people it won't be it'll be welcome uh yeah
0: and and like you said it's everywhere that's my experience too we see it all around us if we'll just open our eyes and pay attention to it Um, There are opportunities everywhere. And oftentimes it only takes a moment. It just that smile, that quick, kind word sent, you know, you have a thought come into your head about, Oh, this person did this for me. I'm going to send them an email or a text. Uh, it, It just takes a moment. And it's so uplifting to you anyways. I mean, from a selfish standpoint, if I'm looking at it just selfishly, I'm thinking, wow, what better way for me to feel better about myself and about my life than if I take just a little bit of time out of my day to try to make someone else's life a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I, I think the proof is in the pudding uh, and and people will see lots of great improvements, but it's not all about us either. It's, it's, it's literally about the other people around us and having those sharing those moments with them will lift them up and then they'll lift other people up and, and it's yeah. a great uh, ripple effect.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's even research, uh, that says that you know, so like with, by appreciating each other, you build positive social connections at work. There was one article from the Harvard Business Review that mentioned that positive social connections at work produce very h- highly desirable results. And what happens is it's uh, explained that people get sick less often when they're happier at work, right? When they have those positive social connections, we're social beings, So if we're happy in those social environments, especially at work, where we're spending more than half of our waking time, we get sick less often. People learn faster and they remember longer. They display more mental acuity and they perform better on the job. Like these are incredible. This is just from having good connections at work. Like you're showing up for work more, you're happy, you're getting more done. Like it's not, I mean, it's not rocket science. Being kinder to each other is good for the workplace.
0: Yeah, so, so let's talk about that a little bit more. I, there's lo- lots of research that shows the benefits of, of relationships in the workplace about um, how it impacts uh, employee engagement, uh, satis- job satisfaction, life satisfaction, all these types of things. And it's connected to this, this idea of mindfulness and, and connectedness through relationships. Um, there's so many positive organizational outcomes that come from this. Um, So from a business case perspective, we should be doing this, right? Yeah. But beyond the business case, the human case is that we want happy, fulfilled, thriving people. Um, I want to be a happy, fulfilled, thriving person. I want my family, all all my family members to be the people I work with. I want them to be fulfilled and to be happy. I want my organization to be that way. And so the, the business case is clear. But beyond the business case, it's, it's a simple matter of, of the human experience and wanting to enhance that for as many people as possible. And I think that's something we can, you and I can do as we meet with leaders and talk to them. But every leader, every manager has the opportunity to have this kind of influence on their teams and within their, their areas, their divisions. Uh, and and I, I hope that they would, they would see the, the, catch the vision and see the power behind it
1: yeah I mean it's something that's so easily doable. it doesn't cost any money, and that's what they want it's like to save the money and make more and again, like research says that you know people who are appreciated just work harder yeah. and what what's really satisfying for me about bringing this into the companies is when I hear people tell me during follow up visits that you know I start to introduce this to my family and now some of us like we sit and meditate together but some of the mindfulness practices that I teach um in, in addition to my talks are just like you know deep breathing exercise to reduce stress because when your stress is reduced you have more clarity in your mind then you're able to get a clearer perspective on what's happening in life so maybe some situation at work seems not so good your mind if it's stress it's going to make it something into something huge but if it's you relax your mind now you can put it back into its proper perspective oh it's only this big okay it'll pass right and then it spills over into people's personal lives. Like you learn about appreciation in the workplace and you're like, okay, well maybe I should do this with my, in, at home. And maybe I can bring all this into my home. And then I've heard also some, of, some folks tell me that now they're starting to do it with their family members and their kids and everything. I'm like, wow, that is just so satisfying to hear that I spoke at a company, but t- these people just took it home and now the, the family's doing it together. So it's so satisfying to know that this is not just a work-related thing, that if they decide that they can bring it home with them, and it's only going to improve their, if, if it improves their home life, that'll improve the work life. And if the work life is improving, then the home life will improve. It just kind of feeds each other.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, so let's talk a little bit more, too, about the current pandemic. Um, you, you talked about the connection between mindfulness and stress, anxiety, uh, and performance. So, so the interlinkages of all of that. And while I think that's always relevant and always important to keep in mind, I think it's of heightened relevance right now because um, we just are in this period of, of uncertainty um, and, and there's uh, mental health issues re- related to social isolation um, and, uh, and then just all the corresponding anxieties and stressors, you know, that are heightened, I think, right now as people are trying to work from home or maybe they don't even have a job at the moment. Um, so what, what do you think are some specific ways that we can use mindfulness practice in stress reduction, um, to help build trust and collaboration in the workplace, those sorts of things?
1: Yeah. And I, am going to go back to the one statement that I mentioned earlier that I don't think mindfulness is limited to just meditation. So in terms of managing stress, I think it's uh, more important than ever before the whole idea of self care. And I like the example of like, when we, when we used to be able to board airplanes, uh, before the plane took off, they said that if the, if the oxygen mask drops, put your own mask on first. And I think we got to remember that, uh, that if we're not putting our own oxygen mask ourselves, if we're not giving ourselves the self care that we need, how are we going to really be there for our family members? Cause we're all not confined together and how are we going to show up for our colleagues? So what does self-care mean? I, it means a few different things. One is, are we making sure that we're getting enough sleep right now more than ever because now the boundaries are basically all blurred. When does work day start and when does it end? You're sitting at the dining, dining table all day long, snacking all day long. When does it end? Creating a schedule, having those boundaries, making sure we're getting a good, a good enough amount of sleep, six to eight hours, making sure we're not drinking coffee or caffeine before going to bed, making sure we're not doing some aggressive exercise, going to bed, dimming the lights, making sure we create an environment where we can get enough sleep. Are we making sure we're eating a healthy diet? And what that means could be a little bit different for everyone. I always recommend increasing your intake of fruits and vegetables, making sure you're properly hydrated, you know, eating decent portions, not like massive portions, not eating a ton of sugar, like really paying attention to that because now at home, we've got all kinds of junk food probably lying around and it's easier to just grab stuff. Uh, And like plan your meals. If you plan them, there's a better chance you'll eat healthier, right? Staying in touch with our friends and family and colleagues, just reach out to people, have a video chat with them, see how they're doing, uh, connect with people. So I think, you know, colleagues or friends or family, whoever it is, right? Continuing to stay mobile while we're at home, that maybe just if you have to get on a couple of calls that don't require video, maybe just walk back and forth while you're on that call. That's what I do. I walk back and forth because keep yourself moving. Or get a elevated desk, or get something that elevates your computer, and stand and work for a while. Don't stay seated because maybe you can't go outside for exercise or whatever. I don't know. So making sure that we're doing all of these things to take care of ourselves. And of course, I feel like having like a two to three minute or five minute meditation every day, deep breathing to de stress ourselves, focusing, gratitude meditation. What are you grateful for right now? I'm just grateful to have food. I'm grateful to have you know my family nearby. And so I think. Feeling of taking time out every day to do a little meditation, which involves breathing, focusing, gratitude, appreciate someone, could be as little as three to five minutes, you know? I think if we try to have a a decent blend of all of these things, we'll be able to provide the self-care that we need for ourselves and therefore really show up for our family members and our colleagues and our community uh, as and when needed.
0: I love that. Those are great tips, uh, and I wholeheartedly agree and endorse what you just said. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm I'm looking at the clock and I realize we're about out of time, uh, which is a shame because it's been a lot of fun to talk to you. And I I really do hope that we could have a chance to uh, talk again, uh, both on this topic, on mindfulness and and in the workplace, but also about your story um, because it's so compelling. Um, Before we close, uh, maybe you could just take a minute and uh, share with the listeners how they can get connected with you, how they can learn more about what you do.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, one thing is I'm available on LinkedIn. I post videos and motivational quotes on LinkedIn, and my LinkedIn you can just find me as Pandit Dasa, um, and uh, my website is panditdasa.com. There's a lot of articles on mindfulness and mindfulness in the workplace. There's a lot of motivational videos I've posted on there. A list of the different speeches and workshops I do in corporations is on there. There's a contact form if you want to reach out and connect and explore something like that. So. Yeah, my name, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, my website, Dasa, uh, And I, yeah, I definitely look forward to connecting. And I'm pretty good at responding to messages and things like that on LinkedIn and even through, through my website as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, I encourage my listeners to, uh, to look you up and to reach out to you. Uh, such a, a fascinating person. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I wish you a fabulous week. Thank you,
1: Jonathan. Same to you. It was, a, it was a pleasure speaking with you as well. Thank you.
0: We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership.